you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the week 10 episode of The Season with Peter Schrager. I am Peter Schrager, the host of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network, and I am joined by my star producer, Brooklyn extraordinaire, Mr. Aaron Wong Kaufman. Aaron, what's good on this beautiful Tuesday morning in New York City? Oh, man, it's, it is beautiful out. We had like a, a hot weekend, and now it's it, this morning. It was like in the 40s. It was beautiful out. Um, and, Football uh, weather, dude. Football yeah, weather. Yeah, okay. yeah. And we're getting into it. I think uh, the listeners were following like, all right, what do you mean you're in New York? You said you were going to be in Munich. I'm going to be in Munich. I'm going to Munich. Slight hold up with me getting to Munich. I will be in Munich. That is the expectation. If I'm not in Munich and I'm in a missing Wednesday mornings, good morning football show, there's a story to be told. But as of right now, I'll be in Munich and I will be getting there still before the Buccaneers and the Seahawks. And I could tell you, talking to all my colleagues from the show who are there right now, uh, Munich is loving the NFL and the atmosphere is incredible. And, I, you know, we're going to talk a bit about these game, the game that they're getting, but who would have thought that Seahawks Buccaneers would be like the game of the week going in to week 10, but that's where we are. And the Buccaneers seem like they're on their bounce back. The Seahawks seem to be legit. And Aaron, I, I feel like that's the game of the weekend. And I'm pretty honored to be going to Munich to set the stage and pretty fired up that the NFL Network's going to be airing it. But uh, that wasn't the biggest story for me uh, this week. Should we get to the four downs? Yeah, let's go. All right. What's first down? First down. So yesterday, like Monday Night Football, huge, but also the kind of the bigger story of the day, Frank Reich loses his job as the coach of the Colts and uh, Ursay comes out and names Jeff Saturday, the head coach of the Colts, the interim head coach. Can you give me any insight on Saturday on, on this decision on, on the firing? Like what's happening here? Let's first get to some Jim Ursay sound and I'll respond off of that. Aaron, why don't you cue it up? Here we go. I'm glad he doesn't have any NFL experience. I'm glad he hasn't learned the fear that's in this league. That's because it's tough for all our coaches. They're afraid. They go to analytics, and it gets difficult. I mean, he doesn't have all that. He doesn't have that, that fear, and there was no other candidate. We were fortunate that he was available. We've tried to hire Jeff a couple times. We tried to hire him in 2019 as the offensive line coach, and we tried to hire him again, you know, this year. Just didn't work out. 
you know, the timing didn't work out. So, and I've spent a lot of time with Jeff over, like with, I have a few of the ex-players here, and it doesn't take long to figure out that he's got real leadership in him, you know, real special in that, in that regard. Um, and, you know, for this aim game stretch and where we're at, um, we thought he was going to be a really good fit for us. All right. So that was Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. And that's Chris Ballard. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics here. And for the listeners, let's get right into it. So Ballard is beloved by the media, the national media. And I think there's a um, uh, an assumption that Chris Ballard is given this green light in this pass by everyone. And the Athletic did a big poll before the season started this season. And it was like, with all the different writers at the athletic and it was, why don't we rank the general managers? And now I don't work for the athletic. I couldn't tell you who ran the poll, whatever, but the results came out. And if you don't think general managers around the league were taken aback when Chris Ballard, who doesn't have a ton of success in Indianapolis in January, doesn't have any Super Bowl rings was voted as the number one general manager. I think you'd be kidding yourself. The general managers pay attention to this stuff. So like when, Ballard's won, and, and I'm, I was going through the list last night. I think Howie Roseman, who's won a Super Bowl, was like 14. And, you know, other guys who have a John Schneider was a little bit lower down. He's won Super Bowl with the Seahawks and has rebuilt that team twice. Yeah, People start talking. It's like, okay, well, what are the Colts? What are they really all about? Well, they gave $20 million this offseason to an offensive lineman who's not a left tackle. That's Quentin Nelson. And their offensive line is one of the worst offensive lines in the league right now. So you start scratching your head and you say, okay, well, well then is it the general manager? Well, okay, let's say it's not the general manager. Let's just give him a pass that he's drafted some good players and that, you know, five quarterbacks in five years, all this stuff. Maybe it's the head coach. Well, first they fire Marcus Brady, who wasn't calling the plays and was the offensive coordinator. They fired him a week ago. And it was like, why is he the scapegoat? And then they fired... Frank Reich yesterday, who, like I said, has been given five quarterbacks in five years and is a beloved NFL head coach. And they go and they hire Jeff Saturday. There have been a lot of takes um, already. And Twitter last night was a free-for-all. And you know, also the timing, like there's a Monday night football game on. Do you really need to do the press conference during Monday night football? This is just classic, like Indianapolis Colts. We're going to do what we do. Ursay is going to talk and we're all just going to have to figure out what he's interpreted. Uh, we're going to have to interpret what he's trying to say. I find it insulting to all the different coaches in that Indianapolis locker room. I find it insulting to all the coaches who have, you know, uprooted their lives for 20 years, going spot to spot to spot to get that opportunity that at the end of the day, it was like, here's a guy who used to play for the team. The fans like him and know him and I can plug him in and I know what I'm getting and I'm not going to, you know, have any issues. It doesn't seem like it's the best thing for the Indianapolis Colts to win the final eight games. Um, it certainly doesn't seem like he's got the best resume. You look within that own building there. Gus Bradley has been an NFL head coach. John Fox has been an NFL head coach. Bubba Ventrone is considered one of the best special teams coaches in the league and an up and coming guy who's about 40 years old and played in the NFL. All those guys would have been worthy candidates to just at least hold the fort down and been the interim. They go with Jeff Saturday and like this note that like, well, we tried to hire him as our offensive line coach in 2019. All right. Well, he said no. To me, a lot of uh, patting on the back of how good this franchise has been. And not only is it the Ballard getting number one GM in an athletic poll that probably 1% of the listeners have heard, but like, you know, that banner that always gets crushed online for the calls that it says they like, you know, I think it was AFC AFC finalists 2014. They have a banner yesterday. Ursay's in the press conference and he's like, since 2000, we're in the upper quartile of the league in wins, the upper quartile, like the top, you know, top four in wins since 2000. And then he's talking about, yeah, look, Frank Wright got fired. It's hard to win. Frank's a great coach. He's a winner and it's hard to win. And Michael Jordan missed a lot of shots. Like it was really hard to follow all this. And I would just say this, you hire Jeff Saturday and I don't know, maybe Jeff gets a couple wins and he fires the guys up and then you could start anew and maybe you have a higher draft pick and everyone says it's fine. And I guess the fans are going to give him a pass because Jeff Saturday's a beloved Colt. Fine. I'm talking about the greater profession as a whole though. Like if you can't look to John Fox and Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone, or if you can't look to, um, I would say Chuck Pagano is living in, in town. Chuck Pagano lives in Indianapolis, does McAfee show every week. Like Chuck was a beloved coach there and knows how to be a head coach. Hire Chuck Pagano for the final eight weeks to go and hire the guy off the ESPN set 
it seems like that's a very comfortable thing for the owner to do. It doesn't seem like it's the best thing for the franchise to win games. And it certainly uh, doesn't rally the other coaches in that building who, yeah, you know, some of them, maybe Reggie Wayne knows Jeff Saturday, but like, I don't know. I'm like, what? They were recording this on a Tuesday morning. They still haven't announced who's calling any of the offensive plays Sunday when they play the Raiders. Uh, I didn't love the decision. And I'm the first guy to say, think outside the box. Think out, if you want to hire a numbers wonk as your GM, great. If you want to hire John Lynch, former player and a broadcaster as your GM, great. If you want to hire a Harvard guy who, you know, went to Morgan Stanley and did the, you know, or Credit Suisse and be the Vikings GM, great. This one is like backwards. Like, I'm just going to hire an ex player who I know, who I trust, and who I'm, you know, comfortable with and that's going to be the thing and i didn't even get into the whole rooney rule aspect of it and he kind of dismissed it and i'm not sure all the rules on interim stuff but like i don't know jeff saturday center for the team i start wondering did they did they ask peyton manning first and i'm a bit dead serious like sean payton asked that in the manning cast and they was met with a laugh but like i'm sure they ran it by peyton manning and then did they ask andrew luck to coach the team i these are not me being goofy and jokey Aaron, i'd be surprised if the colts suddenly are this you know, cohesive unit and have a chance to, I didn't love the hire. I think Ursa is a really philanthropic guy. I think his daughters are doing an incredible job in the mental health space. None of that matters when I'm talking about the actual hiring of a head coach. This one I thought was unfair to several people in the building. I think it's unfair to the players. And I also think it's unfair to several candidates who might be more worthy from the outside. So did I love it? No, I did not. All right. Second down, uh, rumors about Odell's return are heating up the latest team to be uh, to have buzz around a, a, a partnership with Odell is the Dallas Cowboys. What do you think about that? I think there's a lot of juice to it. And I think when uh, my colleagues, Mike Garofolo and Tom Pelissero say it, it's not just throwing something at the wall. I think he's, they're saying it because they've got some insight. Look, here's what I heard after the trade deadline. And, you know, half the things I say on Good Morning Football are – or what I know, the other half I keep in my back pocket because it doesn't need to be reported. And one of them was that the Cowboys were very aggressive on the Brandon Cooks front right before the deadline. Um, I don't know if Gallup's knee is what what it should be. I don't know if Gallup's all the way back. And I think if they're looking to make a run, they they knew that they needed either a deep threat or another threat. Uh, I think Odell to the Cowboys makes perfect sense. They're right in the thick of it. He doesn't want to go to a loser. He wants to go to a winner. And I think to go to America's team, Odell Beckham and Jerry Jones, that's like a perfect symmetry. I will say this, though. It took him a while last year when he came back from the knee before he got going, really till the Ravens game, which was kind of the end of December, maybe week 16, week 17. And then he was great in the playoffs. He helped them in a lot of ways. And then, of course, tears his knee up after having one of the best first quarters <laughs> you'll ever see in a Super Bowl. And he was on his way to being Super Bowl MVP. Um, I'm watching right now Chris Godwin being covered by linebackers on the outside and struggling to get open. I'm watching the aforementioned Michael Gallup struggling to get back like this thought that hey an acl is an acl and we're good to go and these guys are going to be fine um i don't know if odell is going to come right on the field no matter where he plays for it it's going to make an immediate impact so this to me whatever team is hiring odell or signing odell hiring like he's interviewing for jobs but uh whether it be buffalo whether it be dallas whether it be the packers throwing some hail mary and saying hey come with us and save our season I don't think he's going to be Odell, the one that you expect him to be, till at least December. And I know he's training right now, but I, I don't see this being a, hey, sign him in November, and then he just jumps in right away. I think last year it took him a couple weeks to get going. And I look at the guys right now who are coming off major injuries that everyone is expected to be back to themselves. Godwin's not himself. Gallup's not himself. I don't know if Odell's going to be himself. So Cowboys makes a ton of sense. I'd love to see it. I think it would be cool to see Odell in the, in the star in his helmet and give the Eagles a real run for it but I'd be cautious on expecting Odell to be uh, instant action right out of the gates. Yeah. All right. Third down. We talked about it earlier. Munich game, Bucks Seahawks. G can you give me a little preview? What are we yeah. expecting from this? I mean, this has got juice right now. This is a game that has juice and uh, the Seahawks team. I love like I'm falling in love with the Seahawks team. We've done Geno Smith on the show last week. I said he should be in the MVP conversation. What do they do? They he throws a pick six last week against Arizona. You're like, all right, here's where the other shoe is going to drop. They're on the road. They're going to lose. And then Gino finds a way to just get it going, hitting his guys, you know, Metcalf, Lockett. And then, of course, you know, Kenneth Walker does the rest. But I've said it. This might be the single greatest rookie class that this league has ever seen. I'm not being 
crazy here. And I know there's been rookie classes that include, uh, I think Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp were in the same rookie class. I think Jonathan Ogden uh, was in the same rookie class as Ray Lewis. Those are first round picks. I'm talking depth. I'm talking about contributors. Historically, the 05 Saints is very often looked at as that with like Marcus Colston and Reggie Bush and Zach Streif. And um, they had a few other guys in that class that is looked at as one of the best rookie classes. And I think the 70 something Steelers had multiple Hall of Famers, whether it be Ham or Lambert or some combination of that with Lynn Swan. That's all fine. I'm talking about eight starters, guys that play. I mean, you look at this thing, it's two starting offensive tackles. The stat that was given on on Fox was that I think it's the first time in the Super Bowl era that you've had two rookie offensive tackles start the first eight games of the season. That's Abe Lucas, third round pick, and that's Charles Cross, a first round pick. And that's in an era where they say, you know, left tackles are impossible to find in the draft. Right tackles are impossible to find. You got to move them from the inside to the outside. It's, you know, it's very rare you get a rookie starter at either position. They've got them. Kenneth Walker is on his way to the uh, offensive rookie of the year. It's either him or Damian Pierce. And I, I don't think it's it's going to be Damian Pierce in the end because he plays for the Houston Texans and the Seattle Seahawks are having this season. We've got the two defensive backs in Woolen and Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant had another pick. Guy's awesome. And then they've got this boy, A. Mafe, who's the pass rusher, and he's tremendous. Right there, you've got six starters out of a draft class that – all honesty, they weren't supposed to be great. This was a team that, you know, why didn't you draft a quarterback with the ninth overall pick? Why didn't you take a quarterback in the second round, the third round, all this stuff? No, they just got guys. They got players. And what I love about it, and I mentioned it earlier when talking about Chris Ballard, John Schneider and Pete Carroll, this is the second time they're doing this. So 10 years ago, in one draft class, they got Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Bruce Irvin, Robert Turbin, and they like helped rebuild on the fly by just having great draft picks that they didn't have to pay a ton of money. That's them right now. And guess what? They have two first round picks next year. They have two, they have the Broncos first round pick next year and they have two second round picks next year. So I'm excited to see this team uh, in, in, in Munich. And I think there's a lot of buzz around them. And then Tampa, they saved their season. They're in first place, right? Like they saved their season last week with the win. And Brady did the video this, this morning where he's, uh, you know, he's got, he's got the swagger back and the whole thing. And that big embrace he had with Byron Leftwich, that was important to me. I thought Byron Leftwich was going to get fired last week because of how bad it was against the Ravens. And, you know, three and a half quarters into Sunday's game, I'm like, there's no way they bring back Leftwich for another week. There's just no way. There's no way this offense is acceptable. And then Brady saves their ass, brings them all the way downfield, and he's hugging Leftwich. And he's like, we did this. We did this. Uh, I, I think it's two really fun stories right now. Brady back against the wall for the hundredth time in his career. And then this upstart Seahawks team that no one had any expectations for who are in first place at the playoffs for today. I think they'd be a two or a three seed and hosting a playoff game. So, Aaron, I, I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to set the stage for it. And uh, I think the Seahawks get there Wednesday night and the Buccaneers get there Thursday. And I'm hoping I can link up with you know a couple of the coaches and a couple of the general managers, maybe see Jason Light and John Schneider, but maybe I'll have a little um, rendezvous in Munich with Tom Brady. It's not that big a city. Nice. All right, fourth down. Who do you want to give your shout out to this week? I want to give my shout out to Josh Allen, who was a losing quarterback and had suffered an injury that we're monitoring day to day. But I want to give a shout out to Josh Allen because of the soundbite that he had afterwards that says so much about Josh Allen and is what I want in my quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to win in this league. Um, you're playing a good team and your quarterback plays like made some bad decisions tonight and really cost our team. Um, a lot to learn from, a lot to grow from. But that's not that's not the uh, standard we hold ourselves to. That's not the ball that we play. Um, so. Lots to look at, lots to learn from. Now, look, I know Mahomes had a better week. I know Tua had a better week. I know Cousins had a better week. I know Justin Fields had better stats, all this stuff. Josh Allen, though, to take the loss, despite throwing all those pass attempts and doing everything he did and to get injured, the UCL injury, that's, a, that's an injury I wasn't aware of, a UCL. Um, afterwards says, it's hard to win games in this league when your quarterback plays like bleep. Um, Josh Allen, you don't have to apologize to anybody. You don't have to ever put any game on you. You don't have to do anything as far as blame goes. You are the man. And the fact that he does and he wears it, I love that. Like it takes the load off everybody else and puts a spotlight on him because we know that he's not the problem. Um, Deion Dawkins, I believe yesterday came out and was like, I would give my left, I would give, I would give a finger for Josh Allen. He shouldn't have to say that stuff. And that's the way they love him. Um, Josh Allen. Not having to take the blame, taking the blame, that's leadership, and that's only going to serve the Bills uh, as the season goes on. I hope he's healthy. I think he'll be okay. I'm praying that we get to see him this week against Minnesota because that's a good showdown. But gosh, if I'm starting a team right now, it's hard for me to say anybody other than Mahomes or Allen, and Allen every single week wins me over more and more. 
Yeah. I'm as a Bills fan, I love that you saw the positives even in the loss. I mean, obviously we see a little bit of messy Josh again that was a little yeah. scary the last few years, but um yeah, it, it was a tough, tough loss. But uh I want to give a shout out just to the AFC wildcard race in general. Well, what do you got? I love this. It's, it. it's become so complicated because you know, we have the Bills at six and two, the Jets at six and three, and the Dolphins at six and three. Okay. And the Pats are five and four. Like you could have any one of those teams could make it. Well, let's go through the playoffs. Okay. So the 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 clinching teams right now, who do we got? Give me the ranks. Bills in the AFC East at six and two. Okay. Titans AFC South at five and three. Okay. Kansas City for the AFC West at six and two. And the Ravens for AFC North at six and three. Okay. Then we've got the Jets. You have three spots. Okay. Three. So that's let's hear the next teams. Next we have the Jets at six and three. Okay. The Dolphins six and three. And the Chargers five and three right now. Right now. And then who's below the Mendoza line? Who's out? Uh, and my order might be a little off, but okay. Pats five and four, Bengals five and four, like any of those teams could make it. I feel like yeah. um, the Dolphins still have not lost a game that Tua starts and ends. <laughs> like even yeah. though they're six and three, they they're somehow more optimistic than than you would think, given the fact that they're third in the division. But um, yeah. Yeah, Patriots. I, I worry about Mac Jones hasn't played well. Do you feel like the Patriots have a real chance? I don't know. They win this game, and it's like their defense and their running game is good. But gosh, Mac Mac has stunk it up the last few weeks. I mean, the, I don't know between the Jets and the Pats. Both of them, like yeah. you know, we saw Fields have this resurgence the past five weeks, and or not even resurgence because he's never really <laughs> he's never done risen like a, yet. Uh, so he's had this breakthrough. So if Fields can break out and that defense can do things. Could the Jets have this kind of push with, you know, can Zach Wilson? Oh, so you're ride? looking at Fields and you're saying, okay, so out of nowhere overnight, Fields right. has yeah, this. I don't like, know. is that Zach Wilson? That ain't Zach Wilson, bro. I mean, Garrett Wilson. I mean, Garrett Wilson had like an <laughs> incredible Wilson's game. Good. He's good. Yeah. And the deep, we we have talked about how great that defense is. Um, how about our guy Sala? I mean, yeah, that is yeah. a, I mean, I don't think anyone took them to in Buffalo, especially after the New England thing, but the New England thing is real. They've lost 13 straight games to the Patriots. They play them again. I don't know. The team that's sneaky to me is the Bengals yeah. because just when you want to write them off and Jamar Chase is injured and Shadobi Uze is injured, Joe Mixon goes and has five rush, five touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns, and you're like, oh, oh wait, they might be able to run the ball maybe? And then they can – and I'm not counting out Burrow. You know, like it's a great, great conference. We knew this going in, right? Didn't we know this going in that this conference was going to be wide open and that there's going to be – you know, eight teams competing for seven spots. In this case, it sounds like there's 11. Meanwhile, the NFC is awful. Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there are some great teams that we love talking about in the NFC, but also Eagles, yeah, Vikings. Eagles, Vikings. I mean, how Cowboys, I don't know how excited we are with the Vikings. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not like taking my shirt off on the plane, Kirk cousins level for, for them yet. But, um, yeah, you know, they are still winning. Hawkinson looked great for them this week. That was a really fun. Trade. No, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a great win. That's a resilient win. They're down. They come all the way back, but like, I, I don't know. I, to me, I look at those, you know, teams that we thought were going to be good, the bucks, the Rams, yeah. the Packers. And it's like, are we too late in the season for them to get going? Packers, I feel like that goose is cooked. Rams, that goose is cooked. Buccaneers maybe have a glimmer of hope. And then there's, you know, the Giants just sitting there winning games. 49ers. And coming off their bye and the 49ers with McCaffrey. We're basically naming 32 teams and just talking yeah. about football. <laughs> and that's what I think. That's what I think. And I didn't even mention the Seahawks. That's what the league, that's what the league wants, dude. They want us thinking that every team can win. And guess what? A year after the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, anything's possible. Yeah. All right. Are we ready for our guest? Yeah, let's get to it. Can I can I give a little preview on our guest uh, before we get to him? I I love reading. I try to read a book a week, maybe a book every two weeks. Sometimes I do audio books. And I do everything from World War II history to uh, giant long oral histories on you know Hollywood. Um but anytime a Jeff Perlman book shows up in my mail, and I'm lucky enough for him to send me the galleys usually, uh, it's a sports book that you know you're getting one of the best writers in the business doing a deep dive on the individual that he's focused on. Um, in the past, I have absolutely cherished some of Jeff's books, uh, including 
Showtime, which is the uh, impetus for the show Winning Time. But I read that on a vacation on the beach. My wife, I was with her family and we were dating at the time. And they were like, this guy's a little weird. All he's doing is reading a book about the 80s Lakers. And uh, he's not really paying attention to us. But it's one of my favorite sports books of all time. Uh, Sweetness, a very controversial but awesome book on Walter Payton. But it shows Walter Payton uh warts and all not just the walter payton that has been portrayed over the last several years but a really really uh i'd say journalistic and daring look at walter payton's legacy boys will be boys a book on the 90s cowboys that again um how that hasn't been made into a movie or a doc yet i i don't i don't know what to tell you the Bad Guys won, which was on the 1986 Mets and might have been my favorite sports book of all time and really helped you know, encourage me to go for it and chase my dreams as a sports writer. I read that at a very important time right out of college where I was debating what I wanted to do. And his newest one is called The Last Folk Hero, and it's a absolute romp. It's a 300-page book on Bo Jackson, a wonderful athlete who has a almost mythical feel around him and for the younger generation who might not know much about bo jackson gives you everything you could ever want and for the older generation that might have forgotten bo jackson uh it's almost like a paul bunyan tale we're gonna bring jeff in he's really really talented and he's also really really curious about so many different things not only in sports but outside of sports i think he's gonna be a great guest jeff perlman right after this You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. With no further ado, uh, my guy Jeff Perlman on the, the season with Peter Schrager. Jeff, what's up, man? I'm in a car. You looked at me dubiously when I told you I was in a car, but I have, I'm in a car for good reason. Okay. Do you, uh, do you want to explain what the good reason is? Because I'll tell you, when you book a, a guest on a show, you'd like to think they're not going to be sitting in an automobile uh, fighting traffic. I'm not happy about this, but it's pouring, pouring rain in Southern California, which never happens. Okay. My wife needs to go to the airport, and there's uh, you could not get an Uber this morning at all. All right. Zero. Acceptable. You're so Hollywood now. I think of yeah. you as this East Coast, University of Delaware, uh, New York City guy, and now you're Southern California, Hollywood. Uh, before we get to the book... You wrote Showtime, which I said in the intro is one of my favorite sports books of all time. I was on a vacation with my wife and her family, and I was just sitting on the beach, and I ripped through that book in about three days, and I think they thought there was something off with me because they're like, he doesn't take his head out of a book. I'm like, I love this thing. And then sure enough, fast forward 10 years, and HBO's Winning Time um, is obviously the adaptation of your book. What what was it like seeing uh, 
one of your sports tombs, like these amazing books that you've written actually turned into a successful Hollywood show? I would say dream come true, but I never had any notions of that happening. I, um, it was amazing. I mean, the highlight for me, the moment of moments, it's funny because I'm in the car with my wife and she wasn't here for it, is they had a premiere party and I got to take my kids. She was out of town. And I'm at this place and, you know, it's in Hollywood and they do a Chateau Marmont. Where are you at here? I don't remember Set where it was. Scene. But it was, it was, a, it was this cool old theater. And I was with my daughter who was 18 at the time and my son who was 15. And they had this cigar rolling station. And my daughter's like, should we, um, we should have a cigar. And I was like, yeah. we should have a cigar. And it was me, <laughs> my daughter, my son, and Michael Chiklis, who plays Red Auerbach, smoking cigars. Oh, amazing. It was awesome. It was cool. Did you have any, did you have any say in like the casting or anything? Like I, I always think about, you know, you write this book and then they say, okay, we're turning it into a show. Then is it just, hey, that, that bird is now out of the cage and I just kind of give up and I'm uh, happy to be a part of it? Or are you sitting there in the casting and being like, you know what, John C. Riley? He really is good for for the Jerry Bus role. Like, do you have any say in any of that stuff? It was all me. Everything on that show yeah. is, uh, you know. No, um, <laughs> I will say, not like in casting. They were really, really good about asking me a lot about authenticity. Authenticity, excuse me, about does this work? Does that work? Did this happen that way? Did that happen that way? Uh, season two, I'm actually listed as a producer, which is funny because oh, cool. we don't know what that means. But I am a producer <laughs> on the show, so that's pretty good. And uh, but they, you know, I've we got to be in the in the pilot episode and i'm actually in two days i'm i'm appearing as a reporter in one of the episodes in season nice. two. it's great it's it's killer it's great um i look at that book and it was great but then like to me the bad guys won uh, with the 86 mets boys will be boys with the 90s cowboys like have you don't have to tell me yes or no but like i, I imagine your head starts swirling about all the different great books you've written and like if this could work for that story, is there a future where we're doing a Lenny Dykstra, you know, uh, adapted, you know, with how it with, with uh, Wally Backman and whatnot? Nice, that'd be great. I mean, I do. It ha- it is funny what happens when something like this happens. It all, all of a sudden you become a little hotter property as far as your stuff. So since Winning Time was made, I've written ten books, and I'd say seven of them have been options. Now, really, you, yeah, as you know, that doesn't mean as much as as you think. Like it means someone gives you a little money, which is great but the odds of it ever becoming a winning time are long. There's just so many hurdles and barriers, but uh, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah. You never know. Um, your latest book, I know you've been doing the media rounds a little bit, um, but I had to have you on our podcast. And on this show, we've had, we do NFL coaches, we do NFL GMs. We, uh, we try to, you know, really tell the story of this season, but I thought week 10 was perfect. Like everyone should read this book. It's called The Last Folk Hero. It's on Bo Jackson. I think what's interesting about it is you interviewed over 700 people and everyone's got their own Bo Jackson tall tale, almost like it's Paul Bunyan or it's like a fable of some sort where like you interact with Bo Jackson. Here's like, and there is no YouTube necessarily and there is no uh, Snapchat or Instagram to capture it. But like everybody who's 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 crossed his path whether it be tom flores timing him on grass uh doing a 40 and he runs a 417 or it's a guy who sees him you know hit a hit a baseball that that bursts the lights at the university of georgia during their first night game like there's these crazy tall tales what was your favorite bow anecdote that you're like that has to be in the book um he was in high school at mcadory high they're playing fairfield high he hit a ball. Everyone told me this. He hit a ball so high that by the time it came down in left field, he was rounding third base. And I thought, there's no way that's true. There's no way that's true. And I started interviewing people who are at the game. And they'd be like, no, I'm telling you, it's true. No, I'm telling you. And someone said, you need to talk to Eddie Scott. Well, who's Eddie Scott? Well, he, Eddie was playing left field that game. You need to talk to Eddie. So I, um, I tracked down Eddie Scott. And he's like, I am telling you, it's true. I was playing left field. He went on to play in college, Eddie did. And he's like, it's the highest ball I've ever seen. I lost the ball. It finally comes down. I pick it up. I look up. Bo is rounding third and heading for home. And the cool aftermath of this story is um, last week I was in uh, Alabama, in Homeward, Alabama, doing a signing. And it was at a place where everyone had to wear a mask because one of the people who worked there was immunocompromised. And this guy walks up. And he's like, Jeff. And I go, yeah. And he pulls down his mask and he goes, I'm Eddie Scott. And I was like, yes. oh, my God. The star of my book. 
And he said he saw me on the Today Show talking about him, and his family was so thrilled. And so, I, yeah, I love that story. It's amazing. Real quickly, tell that, I mean, the, the high school uh, career of Bo Jackson, all the sports. I think, you, you know, you do the synopsis of all the track and the football, but, like, just give us the, like, just for the listener at home, what was Bo Jackson in high school? It's my favorite thing ever. Okay. He won as a senior, as a junior and senior, he won back-to-back state decathlon championships without having to run the 1500, the final race, because he didn't want to. He, his senior year, he didn't take off his sweats for the decathlon. So he did all the events in his sweats. I don't know if that was to intimidate people or what. He wins the decathlon his senior after spraining an ankle midway through. The next day starts for the McAdory baseball team, the only pitching appearance of the year for Bo Jackson. Strikes out 13 in a playoff win. He stole 90 of 91 bases. I talked to the catcher, Sam Doss, who told me after throwing him out, Bo's next at bat, he homered and winked at him. He, um, <laughs> he set five individual state track and field records. He, um, he was um, drafted by the Yankees in the second round of his, of his uh, senior year. And the Yankees kept trying to find him because they wanted to negotiate with him. And his mom was so dead set on him going to college. And also Auburn sort of recruiters put a wall around him. The Yankees literally could not get in touch with him. They had a scout knock on his door, would not answer the door. They called his high school baseball coach, Terry Brazier, and said, um, we want to uh, fly you and Bo to Yankee Stadium for Yankees Red Sox. And the coach is like, that sounds great. Bo's like, yeah, I don't want to do it. I don't care. I'm going to Auburn. Like, he just, he was unbelievable and unmoved and couldn't have named one player on the Yankees or the Red Sox and certainly didn't know they were rivals. Like, he was just ridiculous. You tell that, you say that story, then there was... His first career hit is off a Hall of Fame. You'll tell the story, but like, like Bo wasn't like a sports savant, but and I don't say that like not not, not questioning his intellectual stuff, but like did not follow these sports. Just was an absolute freak and played them. Yeah, didn't didn't care, didn't know, didn't watch. Um, first major league at bat September second, nineteen eighty six. He's caught up from Memphis. He's very raw on the mound. Steve Carlton at the time, three hundred twenty one game winner, obviously a Hall of Famer. It's this beautiful seven pitch at bat. It's like a rock opera, and Bo. I mean, he looks like every muscle is popping out of that uniform. The uniform is so tight. His, he was so built. And on the seventh pitch of the at-bat, after almost hitting a home run, he grounds out to second. All right, it's a ground or second. He hits it to Tim Hewlett. Hewlett fields the ball. And Bo runs a he runs a 3-6 down the line. It's the second fastest recorded time in Major League history by a right-handed hitter. <laughs> Mickey Mantle is the only faster. And there's I'm, I'm just saying, the stopwatches where Mickey Mantle played were click, 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 click. And the Bojacks were like... And the scout behind home plate, Art Stewart from the Royals, he he looks at his stopwatch and he turns to the other guys. And someone's like, what'd you get? And he's like, it's not even worth it. It's wrong. Someone else is like, well, what'd you get? What'd you get? It's wrong. Well, I got a 3-6. He's like, I got a 3-6. Holy crap, I got a 3-6. Like, they didn't believe it. After the game, Bo Jackson is asked what it meant to him getting his first hit off Steve Carlton. He didn't know who he was. Yeah, no idea. And that's, I, I mean, I love that. And then he gets drafted by the Buccaneers, but he doesn't go. What, what's the reasoning behind that? And then the mythology after that. So he's drafted. He's um, before the draft, the Buccaneers fly him to Tampa for a physical. And this is during Auburn's baseball season. And how bare does the Auburn baseball coach? And Bo is late for a game against Alabama, Birmingham. And someone's like, how is like to a player? Where's Bo? It's like, oh, he, um, he flew to Tampa. He flew to Tampa. Yeah, the Buccaneers flew him in from physical. He what? He's that violated SEC rules. Almost everywhere around the country, you could play amateur one sport pro another, not in the SEC, which yeah. as you and I both know, is absolutely insane because yeah, name a good player, now. he was getting paid. It's a joke. Yeah. So he, Bo blames the Buccaneers. He says, this is on them. And they, um, they end up drafting him number one. The head coach was Lehman Bennett. And he said to you, Culverhouse, do not draft him if he's not going to play here. And Culverhouse was like, nah, he'll play, he'll play. They draft him number one. Bo doesn't want to play there, but he, his agents tell him to fly to Tampa and meet with the team. He flies. Steve Young, maybe my favorite interview of all time for multiple books, because he is the best. He um he was the Bucks quarterback at the time. And you Culverhouse, the owner, says, Why don't you come with Bo, come with me and Bo to dinner? We can wine and dine Bo. Well, they go to dinner, and Culverhouse does one of these, like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you guys for a minute just to talk. And he gets up and Bo Jackson says to Steve Young, just so you know, there's no effing way I ever sign with this team. And uh, the next day, Scott Brantley and a bunch of teammates took Bo fishing, Buccaneers players. And Brantley said to Bo, listen, man, we would love to have you, but you don't want to play here. You don't want to play here. Mm-hmm. And the Royals draft him in the fourth round. The line from Art Stewart, the scouting director, was our, our franchise won't fold if Bo Jackson doesn't sign here. And he hated the Buccaneers so much 
The Royals agreed to sign to a million dollars. It was very important to Bo. The original offer was like 980000 He wanted a million. They said, we'll make you a millionaire. And they signed Bo Jackson. And in his contract, he would be called up by the end of 1986, which he was. Mm. Then the Raiders come calling. It's after or during the NFL lockout or the players have a stoppage. And um, that same season, 87, he ends up there. But what I find interesting, they already had Marcus Allen, who was one of the great Super Bowl heroes. But like you talk about it in this book, it's very odd. There was like as good as Marcus Allen was, as charitable as he was, as glowing a personality as he was for the L.A. Raiders. Al Davis didn't like him. We'll go and then Bo Jackson comes along, and we've got two of the best running backs in one backfield. Yeah, it's super weird. Al Davis has a lot of sort of like he was very impulsive and very, in a way, hard to read, and in some ways, very easy to read. And there was all this, there was all this discussion always. Why did Bo? Why did Al Davis hate Marcus Allen so much? And the best reason I got, I swear, was after they won that Super Bowl in '83, '83, right or '84, when they beat the Redskins. Um, yeah, Marcus Allen appeared on the cover of a book about that season and Al Davis flipped and he really hated the idea of someone being the face of the Raiders besides Al Davis, like hated it. So he brings in Bo Jackson. He kind of used Bo Jackson in a way as a Marcus Allen anecdote. Like I'll show you and we get uh, Bo Jackson. It's funny during his first practice with the Raiders or one of his first practices, first practice um, it's, it's 87. You have a lot of the replacement players are still in camp because they're helping get the older Raiders back into shape. And Matt Millen and Rod Martin are playing linebackers in these drills, and they're just beating up on the scabs. Like, we're just going to kill the scabs. <laughs> and this guy takes a handoff, and he runs around Ed. Matt Millen, Matt Millen's like, whoa, who's that guy? All right, I missed the tackle. I'm going to get back. Same play. He apologizes, right? He apologizes yeah. to the other guy. He says, I, Rod I, Martin, I'm, I don't know what's wrong with me. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he misses again, and he's like, geez, what the hell? Who is this scab? And Rod Martin is cracking up. He's like, you dumbass, that's Bo, that's Bo Jackson. And Matt Millen's like, huh. And on the sideline, Marcus Allen is watching this drill with James Lofton. And Lofton says to him, well, there goes your job. That's it. And Bo is that good. And uh, the, obviously the Bosworth game and the second Bosworth game, because people don't realize, and I didn't know this, I'm reading your book, like the first game he ever played in was against Seattle. He didn't get to dress. And Bosworth has this like incredible game. And then, of course, he does what he does in the Kingdom on Monday Night Football. But... I got to fast forward to 89. I'm I'm a seven-year-old kid in New Jersey, and I know exactly where I was watching the MLB All-Star game. And if you can, I hate just teeing you up with stories, but this is what you do best. Like, can you just take us to Mickey Mantle's in New York City, the whole situation, and where we're at? 89, MLB All-Star game, Bo Jackson starting in center field. So it's his only All-Star game appearance. And uh, the day before the game, Tony La Russa, who's the manager of the AL, pulls Wade Boggs and Bo aside and says, you know, Wade, I'm going to have Bo lead off. Just kind of for the moment, the bigness of the moment. Bo Jackson's cool with it. Wade Boggs is cool with it. They practice a handshake, actually, to do uh, after someone homers. So Bo Jackson leads off. Rick Rush was on the mound. In the booth, Vince Scully and Ronald Reagan. It's a beautiful Southern California day, Angel Stadium. Second pitch from Russell. Bo takes a slider and just nails it dead center into the batter's eye over Eric Davis. Nike decided the All-Star game was when they were going to debut the Bo You Don't Know Diddley ad, which was their enormous ad by, it was really the launch of Bo Knows. And that's the ad with Jim Everett and Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky and Gibson. Well, all the Nike executives are watching the game at Mickey Mantle's restaurant in New York City. And which, by the way, was a really good restaurant. They had a great burger. Yeah, and, well, uh, I did. It was good. Yeah, it was. 55th Street, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. It was right south of Central <laughs> Park. And Bo Jackson hits his homer, and the ad is going to run at the beginning of the fourth inning. And they just go crazy. They are jumping up and down, screaming, shouting, celebrating, because the, the timing of this, the serendipity of we're doing this launch on the day that Bo Jackson, in a lot of ways, announces himself as a national, national two-sport phenomenon. And, you know, that obviously that, that goes on to be one of the great sports marketing campaigns. And one of the things, Peter, I always say, Bo Jackson says almost nothing in those ads. Like, that's what's yeah. kind of amazing about it. Jordan talks in most of his ads. Bo Jackson, he says... Uh, in one of the ads, he says, so when's that Tour de France thing anyway? And I think he says uh, in another one, so when's that Boston Marathon? That's it. it. He was a guy with a stutter. He was shy. He was soft-spoken. He was guarded. And they built the perfect ad campaign uh, based on his talents. Can you tell the little, the little Easter egg on Gretzky and the, and the ice skating? Oh, it's so funny. So everyone in that ad is supposed to say bonus, bonus hockey, bonus baseball. And his, his line was bonus hockey. But um, 
he was terrible at acting. He just, but I mean, one line, but he butchered it over and over again. Gretzky, Gretzky did. So uh, he just he goes up and he just says no. And they showed it didn't actually work perfectly. And um, there's a scene of Bo skating, and he's in a Kings uniform, but it, it actually took place on a high school gym gym floor in Kansas, and he was wearing socks, no skates. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And then he runs up the wall in in Baltimore's Memorial Stadium. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, and that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. I think you make a good point in the book. Like people ask who's the best athlete of all time. And you can get Jim Thorpe and you can get Deion Sanders and you could talk Usain Bolt. There's never been another human being who's run up a wall before. Uh, is that is is that not the statement that Bo just, if you want to see what Bo Jackson was as an athlete, watch him catch this fly ball as he runs up an actual outfield wall. 100%. Because you can always say, you know, whoa, that throw by whoever was amazing, or that run by so and so was amazing, or who was it, John Ross or someone ran an insane time yeah. in the combine, you know, blah, blah, blah. No one's ever run up the wall. And I interviewed a lot of it. So, first of all, it was a flimsy wall. It was in Baltimore's old Memorial Stadium. It was flimsy. And he ran up the wall and he was so high up the wall. I talked to guys with the Orioles, the guys in the bullpen pulled back because they thought Bo was coming over the wall. And, um, yeah, no one's ever done it. The uh, other thing is I talked to a guy named Chad Allen who played with Bo in the Mem- with the Memphis Chicks. And he said there was a game against Charlotte in the minor leagues. And um, Bo also ran up a wall. But there were like 40 guys there at the game. So when he saw it, he was like, oh, there you go. But no, and the next day, the funny thing is the next day, across the major leagues, during BP, guys are shagging balls and guys are trying to run up the wall. The wall. So all across the majors. And uh, no one could do it, obviously. No one's done it since. It's incredible. The four one seven forty on grass, the running up the wall. Um, and yet you make a good point throughout the book that, you know, Bo's legacy and why he's a folk hero and maybe why it adds to the mystique of Bo is that it all ends so quickly. And he's not necessarily Michael Strahan or Charles Barkley or, Peyton and Eli Manning, you don't see Bo Jackson. He's still alive. He's still around. And yet, very short NFL career, very short baseball career, came over the hip surgery, obviously had his moment with the White Sox, but that wasn't long. Do you think that adds to the... I mean, to me, that's the mystique that like what could have been is almost more fascinating than like, all right, he had a nice 10-year career and was a really good athlete at the peak of it. Times a million. I... I don't want to write the Emmett Smith biography. Well, and with all due respect to Emmett Smith, I don't want to write that book. I don't want to write the Gary Sheffield biography with all due respect to Gary Sheffield. The whole thing about Bo Jackson is, all right, first of all, there are enough, there are those five or six highlights on YouTube 
just a meet, not just great runs, but running up a wall, throwing out Howard Reynolds at home, running over the bars, the 91 yard run, running over Mike Harden. Enough of those where you say, holy crap. But there aren't enough where we have 200. You know, like there's enough where you believe the mythology, where you believe it actually is possible that he hit a ball so high that he rounded a third, that he did run a 4 1 3 40. And if we saw it all, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting. So Emmett Smith was amazing, but we saw it all. Gary Sheffield, amazing. We saw it all. I love the question mark over Bo. It's a whole thing. It is the whole thing. Um, I, I'll end it with this. Uh, I love this book so much. I read it and like, then they're doing the media and Bo comes out and he's like, I, I didn't take part in this book. You didn't interview Bo. Did you try to get Bo for this, for this book? And what has been the response since? And have you heard from Bo directly? Because Honestly, Jeff, I've read some of your books. They're not always glowing about the subject. The Favre book is very fair. The Walter Payton book, of course, had its you know reaction by many in the Chicago media. This book, yeah, there's some stuff early on in Bo's childhood where you're like he was a bit of a bully and he had this, you know, whatever. But that's like this, this was a love letter to Bo Jackson's athletic ability and what he meant to the culture at the time. Yeah. So I, um, thank you. I uh, early on, I sent Bo a copy of my other books and a letter. And he called me. I was in my backyard, 2020, heart of the pandemic. And he was super nice, like super nice. He was like, hey, Jeff, this is Bo Jackson. And we talked for a long time. He was getting his wife a chopped salad. He was driving to get her a chopped salad <laughs> and what he's doing in his life. And he was cool. And he's like, look, I um, I don't care that you're, I don't mind that you're doing this book. Or I don't have a problem you're doing it. I just, I get asked about this stuff all the time. I'm just not really interested. And I said, that's fine. <laughs> but I got really lucky. Because um, he had an autobiography, which I bet you read because we're of similar age. You know, 1990, Bo Knows Bo with Dick Schaap. Dick Schaap, yeah. And um, before Dick Schaap passed away, he donated um, all the audio files, all the transcripts, notes, etc., from that Bo Knows Bo experience to the Auburn University Library, which I did not know. And I spent about 250 bucks, and I had it all copied and sent to me. I don't think anyone had looked at it since Bo Knows Bo came out. And mm. literally... 500, 600, I don't know, pages of the transcripts of everything oh they talked God, about. Oh, my God, what a gift. Oh, man. 95% of it never made the book. It was also the audios. The funny thing is Jeremy Schaap transcribed most of it. He was a college oh, kid adorable. at the time. <laughs> he said, so thank you, Jeremy Schaap. Um, and then since the book has come out, Bo, do you reach out, a, a, a note, a thank you, a dismissal of the book, anything? He, uh, he tweeted something about if you're going, it might be his pin tweet, it was for a while. If you're going to uh, read anything about me, don't read a quote, unauthorized biography. Hmm. Um, wait to hear it from me, which suggests maybe he's going to write an autobiography, which to me, it's totally cool and totally fine. But I just want to say, like, I really need this. Like, you're a writer, I'm a writer. Um, Bo Jackson's autobiography, just as an example, which I really love. He talks about going 0 for 21 with 21 strikeouts in his first 21 college baseball bats. And I thought that was really interesting. In fact, I called different Auburn teammates to ask about it. They were like, yeah, he really struggled. Oh, it was rough. Well, I start digging through the old baseball uh, box scores. And he went two for five against Southern Illinois in his first college game. And then he went one for 19. And I'm not saying he was lying at all. Just memory is tricky. And the reason you, you write biographies is because you give a different perspective. It's a historic book. He's a historic figure. And you want to sort of, you want to look into someone beyond just the, what he has to say. There's more to a story and to a history than just one person's perspective. It's a great take. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast, but also thank you for writing this book. It is, if you are a fan of just sports and 90s nostalgia and 80s nostalgia, you got to pick it up. Um, real quick, the, the person that's reached out to you since that has made you smile the most, because I think anyone who loves either sport just loves, I mean, there's a story about, him going fishing with Rick Dempsey. There's Hal McRae ripping up glossy photos of him. Like every name, George Brett, Marcus Allen, Matt Millen, Howie Long, all the names that you remember from that era. Who's reached out to you since the book has come out that has made you smile and say, yeah, that's pretty cool if that person read it. Oh, man. The best was um, the guy who threw Bo Jackson out, the only guy who threw Bo Jackson out in high school, Sam Doss. His daughter emailed me the other day and said, oh, my God, my dad is thrilled. This is amazing. So bringing people to life from past lives really warms my heart. That's so good. Guys, you got to get the book. It's The Last Folk Hero. It's Jeff Perlman. Jeff, you're a good husband. You're a mensch for taking your wife to the airport. And we appreciate you coming on the podcast. All right, dude. Thank you so much. You're the man, dude. See, I enjoy doing that. Jeff Perlman's a good writer. And if we're going to have Robert Sala and Joe Shane and Paul Rudd on, like this is another lane we can do. Uh, Perlman spent 
years working on that Bo Jackson book, interviewed 700 people and then puts out a book into the earth. And you're like, you just hope people respond. Now, Aaron, as I'm doing the interview and I'm talking about the 1987 the NFL player strike, I'm looking at my other window on the Zoom and I'm looking at you who is of a different generation. You're younger than me. Like, does Bo Jackson mean anything to your generation? Does Bo Jackson as a sports fan mean anything to you? You know, I don't know a ton of the history behind him, but I loved hearing about it. And like, I, I now just have to go on YouTube and look up these, like the clip of him running up a wall. Like this sounds incredible. Um, and so just to find some like new figure of, of really important sports history uh, is a great thing for me. It's crazy. So in 91, he's in the playoff game against the Bengals and he hurts his hip. He never plays football again. And like everyone says that like if it had happened in 2001 or 2021, that's a simple surgery and, you know, give him eight to 10 months, he'll be back. Um, but they didn't have the, the science back then. They didn't have the medicine back then to to fix that. He did come back to baseball. And I think in his first at bat, hits a home run for the White Sox, which is like just the perfect like sports lore and all that stuff. And then uh, for Jeff, like, what do you already said? 10 books, seven of them have now been optioned in winning time. Did you watch winning time on HBO? Loved it. Right. Loved so it. he's yeah. the original writer of all that. And then he tells the story about his daughter being able to smoke a cigar with him. And you're like, that's pretty cool. That's a cool moment for like a, a sports writer, a guy who's been writing books and just churning out these books and they're all bestsellers. And he lives a very good life, I'm sure. But like to have this second chapter where now all of a sudden he's like this Hollywood guy, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I have not had a cigar with my dad, but I have had a cigar with Michael Chiklis. So, you know, similar, similar whoa, thing whoa, whoa. there. To You've him. had a cigar with the commish. You've had a cigar with Michael Chiklis. What with is that thing. story? Yeah. The more more uh, also tequila too. His daughter makes a, an incredible tequila actually. That uh, I'm sure There's a lot to that story. I'm sure. Do we yeah. want to share that story or just leave it as let's let we'll, the we'll, 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 we'll get, we'll get, yeah, we'll get to it. In a let the listeners, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll leave that as a little teaser. Uh, I'm headed to Munich in a few hours. Any tips for this trip? Oh, from me, ah, man, I haven't been to Germany in many years, um, but uh, get something good to read. Sounds like you got plenty of books probably already for the flight. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear how you, uh, what what you guys do there. This might, this might upset some people um, of the German uh, culture. This might upset some people who are with the NFL, but I told a guy at my kid's school that I was going to Germany and he goes, Berlin? I go, No. Cologne? I go, no. I go, I'm going to Munich. And he goes, oh, okay. And I go, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I mean, I can't wait. I mean, is it? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, <clears throat> Munich. It's like the Hoboken of Germany. I go, oh. <laughs> All right. So I'm headed there. On that note, uh, I will have updates, I'm sure. We'll talk all about it. I'm sure I'll get into some hijinks. And I, if I have a beer with Brady, don't be shocked. I usually find my way into these kind of situations. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Aaron, you're the man. Uh, the music is our guy, Jack Rudd. And of course, Jason English, iHeart, and all the NFL folks. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. We love doing it. A little different podcast this week. Jeff Perlman, our guest. But uh, let's keep it rocking. You, me, and uh, Aaron. Jeff Saturday. Let's go. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 